Well, there you have it, out of context. Welcome to the St. John Church today, and welcome to this message on this issue of uh, the plans that God has for you. As, as I watch that video, as I see this, this main, you know, um, symbolic piece here that's on the cover of your uh, communication device, it reminds me of college, actually, and uh, we had an annoying person down the hall from us. We once took his entire room and set it up by the flagpole. That's what that reminds me of, you know, putting him out of context. And we're going to be talking about those scriptures that, that uh, lead us to some conclusions that may not necessarily be according to um, God's understanding, but are commonly held and commonly believed. What does it mean in Jeremiah 29, verse 11? We're going to go there in a minute if you want to take out your smartphone or, or you want to take out your scripture. And we welcome you also who are watching online or who may be hearing this later in an archive message off of our website. As we study this issue of, of what God means when he says, I have plans for you. Because I know this. I know that all Christians, even Christian leaders and even Christian churches don't agree on everything, amen? I mean, that's pretty well understood. You may have disagreements even in your own family. And it's not even just on the fine points of, of the Scripture. It may be on major concepts that are taught in the Bible. And as an example of this, I want you to consider what happened between two Christian churches in Cumberland, Maryland. One was Our Lady of Martyrs Catholic Church, and the other was Beulah Presbyterian Church, Evidently, they are churches across the street from each other, and uh, they had a debate going on that played out on their church signs, and the Catholics, as always, started it. So here it goes. Uh, the Catholic priest put on his sign, Our Lady of Martyrs Catholic Church in, in, uh, in, in Maryland there, Cumberland, Maryland. All dogs go to heaven. Presbyterian Church was having none of that. He wrote, only humans go to heaven. Read your Bible. Catholic priest was not intimidated. He came right back and said, God loves all of his creations, dogs included. Presbyterian guy was not going to back down. Came back and said, dogs don't have souls. This is not open to debate. Okay, can you imagine what's going on in the hearts and minds of the members of those churches? They're reading these signs. Catholic church comes back and says, Catholic dogs go to heaven. Presbyterian dogs can talk to their pastor. All right, all right. He's crossed the line now. Converting to Catholicism does not magically grant your dog a soul, Presbyterian pastor had to say. Catholic guy comes back, free dog souls with conversion. <laughs> I'm liking this Catholic priest. I think I would go to his church. The Presbyterian pastor, dogs are animals. There aren't any rocks in heaven either. To which the Catholic priest replied, all rocks go to heaven. <laughs> so, you know, there is some contention, you know, between Christians and between Christian leaders and between Christian churches on what exactly is taught in the Bible. And, and as I was thinking about taking this head on, you know, these are subjects that most churches would just simply avoid because they're a bit controversial. Let's just stay with what everybody agrees on. We said, no, no, no. I don't know if you recognize this picture. It's based on the charge of the Light Brigade from the Crimean War. 
How many know what the Crimean War is about? Probably not too many, although half a million people died in that war. It was a war when the Ottoman Empire began to dissolve and Russia tried to take over Turkey and and Europe and Britain were saying, no, 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 Russia, we're not going to give you Turkey. And so they went to fight against them. It's mostly known because of uh, Florence Nightingale and her nursing work there. But there was a charge of the Light Brigade. A British force was sent into certain death because of an order that was misunderstood. And Alfred Lord Tennyson uh, wrote a famous poem about it. It goes like this. Theirs was not to make reply. Theirs was not to reason why. Theirs was but to, you know it, do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon in front of them, volleyed and thundered. Stormed at with shot and shell, boldly they rode and well. Into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell rode the 600. Pastor Deanne and I are going to ride right into the mouth of hell. You know, we're going to take these controversies straight on, uh, regardless of uh, uh, what may be misunderstood. We're just going to try to tackle some of these common misconceptions that are taught in Scripture, but may be misunderstood in the Scripture. And today we're talking about, does God have a plan for my life? And is it my job to prayerfully discern or to seek the counsel of others so that I might know that I understand his will for my life and follow his will perfectly and therefore receive his blessing or not follow his will and therefore be frustrated in life. You know, how does that line up and where is that taught in Bible anyway? So let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29 and we'll begin in verse 10. Now let me set the context for this a bit because it's kind of important for us to understand. As I said, this was from the prophet Jeremiah, considered one of the uh, two major prophets of the Old Testament. Um, uh, at least uh, post-Davidic period, uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet who was given a, a tough message. In fact, he's sometimes called the weeping prophet because he was told to predict the demise and the destruction of Jerusalem and the captivity of God's people because of their unfaithfulness. Well, how would you like to have a pastor like that? He was not popular. And he was beaten, he was put in stocks, he was put in jail, he was put in prison. But he continued to preach this message that God gave him to preach, no matter how hard it was to preach. In fact, Jeremiah also wrote the book of Lamentation. We don't use that word much anymore, but it means a book of sorrow or a book of, of tears. And he actually wrote the book of Lamentations as he watched this prophecy fulfilled that the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. So he had an observation as he watched the city destroyed, as he watched the people carried into captivity. Jeremiah himself was not carried into captivity. Uh, The king of Babylon, who already ruled over the area, uh, knew that Jeremiah was predicting their destruction. And and so that king, Nebuchadnezzar, actually freed Jeremiah. And most believe that he fled to and died in Egypt. But he does predict the fall of Jerusalem. He does predict their captivity. But he gives them this promise in his prophecy before this happens. He says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years of your captivity in Babylon are finished, I will come to you, God says, I will come to you, according to my good promise, to bring you back to this place. So you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. For I know the plans I have for you. This is where that passage comes from. And by the way, uh, every year we uh, confirm Uh, about a hundred young people here who have studied the Bible and say, this is what I stand for, this is what I believe, not because of my parents, but because I've examined it. And in our tradition, they choose a life verse for themselves. This is the most popular life verse that our confirmands choose. 
In fact, Anne-Marie, who uh, controls all of our volunteers who spoke here uh, a moment ago, this is her verse, her confirmation life verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So although they were about to go to captivity, he wants to also extend this promise. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. As they say, thus far the reading. So that's going to be the focus of our attention. First of all, he says this to a nation of people, right? He's not saying it to one individual. He's saying it to a group of people. And the fulfillment of this promise is not even going to be to the people who understand it. He's saying it to the dads and to the moms and to the grandpas and grandpas of those who will receive this. If you were 20 years old and he says, 70 years from now, you know, I'm going to restore you and I'm going to bring you out of captivity. Immediately you would do the calculation and say, well, this promise isn't for me. This is for my children. So does it have any impact on you if it's for your children or for your grandchildren? Spoiler alert. The idea that God has plans for you is both true and not true. He does have plans for you. The way in which you should embrace life. The motive that you should use to make your decisions. Even that you would pray about decisions that you need to make. All of that is certainly in God's plan for you. But I do not believe that God has a specific way in which you ought to live your life. A specific city in which you ought to play out your days. Or a specific uh, uh, you know, job that you should take or not take that will determine whether he blesses you or not blesses you. I really don't believe that it matters all that much to God. Although I would want to do what gives me the greatest opportunity to you know, please him. The greatest opportunity to demonstrate faith for him in my life. But I don't believe that God cares so much as to whether I'm a CEO or a house husband. I don't know that God cares a great deal whether I'm an ad executive or whether I'm a Christian school teacher or whether I live in this city or that city. And some people just, you know, angst over these kinds of decisions as though there's a right or a wrong answer to them. Whether I'm a Sunday school teacher or whether I'm a, a little league baseball coach, don't tell my staff I just said that because they know what God's will for you is and it's to be a Sunday school teacher, you know. No, I, I think... God is more concerned about the how and not the what and not the where. This promise was made to a people that would not be realized until another people, their children and their grandchildren, uh, fully realized the promise. This past week we celebrated Ascension. You know, 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus, you know, he walked upon the face of the earth. He continued to interact with people and there are many places in Scripture where it talks about he, he, he didn't walk as he did before. He would appear and disappear from their presence, but constantly interfaced with people until he gathered them together on the Mount of Ascension and he ascended into heaven where he now sits, as we say in our creed, at the right hand of God the Father in the place of greatest importance in heaven. And he's going to return again 
the Bible teaches. In fact, that day that he ascended into heaven, 40 days after uh, the resurrection, 40 days after Easter, after he, uh, after he disappeared from their view, a, a cloud covered his, his rising, an angel appeared to those who were there. said, why do you stand here gazing into the sky? You know the truth, that this same Jesus who left is going to return again as you have seen him go. Did the disciples see that happen? No. My mom and dad did not see that happen. And I don't know whether I will or will not see that happen. That promise may yet be realized in a future generation. But just because this promise is going to be fulfilled after my time does not mean it has no effect on me. It still has effect on me. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote about that coming of Jesus to the church at Thessalonica. He said, The Lord himself someday will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ, their bodies will be raised first, joined to their souls. Then we who are still alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to join the Lord in the air. Paul said, then we who are still alive. Paul thought that possibly that might also be in his lifetime. You know, although this would not happen in the lifetime of those who heard the promise of Jeremiah, yet it still had an impact on their life. Knowing that this promise had been made, it affected their attitude And their belief in God's constant and continued favor and God's constant and continued blessing. And attitude affected uh, uh, their behavior. And it does for me too. Knowing that the Lord is going to come again, knowing that he has prepared a place for me, uh, means that no matter how bad it gets on earth, no matter how bad it gets, it will not last because God has promised a better future for me. And no matter how good it gets, you know, especially for somebody else, I know that's not going to last either, or it's still going to be better for me when I meet the Lord face to face. This promise was not made to an individual. It was made to a nation, and even to a nation of children that would one day experience it. But it had implications even for those who would not experience it. Secondly, God's plan was not to harm them, right? I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Plans not to harm you. Plans to prosper you. And yet, God's plan for Israel included hardship. I know the plans, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But first, you're going to spend 70 years in exile. That was not considered harm. You know, God's plan not to harm us does not mean that we will escape all hardship. And hardship in your life does not mean that God is not being faithful to you either. In fact, some of the greatest blessings that we experience come by means of hardship. Most of us who have lived a few years will tell you as we look back on life, it was during the hardship that we matured the most. It was during the hardship that we exercised the greatest faith. It was during hardship that we received the greatest blessing from the Lord. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the great poet, said, We acquire the strength it takes to overcome an adversity. So the fact that his plans were not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, does not necessarily mean that you won't have hardship. But hardship really is not harm. 
In fact, the Lord uses hardship to keep us close to him, as the scripture goes on to say. Then you will call on me, you know, at the end of 70 years, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Because you know this promise is sure, you will seek the Lord and you will live in expectation of him fulfilling this promise. You know, hardship, captivity keeps us close to the Lord. Now, God desires our holiness more than our happiness. And by holiness, I'm not talking about your pious behavior. I'm not talking about being self-righteous. I'm not talking about being better than other people. I'm talking about the certainty and conviction that I have that all is going to be well no matter what condition I find myself in. You know, God is going to keep me next to him through my difficulty. Oliver Wendell Holmes, the Supreme Court Justice, uh, said, if I had a formula for bypassing trouble, I would not share it. Trouble creates a capacity to handle it. I don't embrace trouble. It's not that I'm eager for it. It's not that I love it. That's as bad as treating it as an enemy. But I do plan to meet it as a friend. You will see a lot of it. And you had better be on good speaking terms with it. You know, when trouble comes, when, when hardship comes, as, as they did experience hardship, certainly in their captivity. And, and there's a psalm in the Bible that says... In fact, Don McLean back in my day, back in the 70s, uh, uh, in his American Pie album, uh, wrote a song about it called By the Waters of Babylon, right out of the scripture. We lay down and wept, we lay down and wept, we lay down and wept for thee, Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Old Testament Hebrew chant that he put to music. You know, there was sadness there. But that sadness kept them strong of faith and close to the Lord. And uh, God uses difficulty to keep us on our knees Keep us exercising faith. You know, with, without hardship, what need would there be for faith? And what blessings would come? Very little is achieved out of ease. Great maturity and spiritual development happens out of trouble. God keeps us close to him. He keeps us asking. He keeps us needy. And that's not a bad kind of needy. That's an expectant kind of needy waiting for him to resolve a situation and show himself to be the God of our salvation, not only on the cross, not only in the empty tomb, but also in my day-to-day endeavors until finally he calls it into it and brings me home to be with him forever. Now, God's grace and mercy are never conditional, never. God's behavior is not based on your behavior. No matter whether you are faithful or unfaithful, God still loves you. He has provided salvation for those even who will not accept it. Even those who are in hell today rejecting the salvation that God freely promised, he died for them too. You know, he wanted them to be saved as well. God's grace by definition is undeserved and unmerited love. His mercy is uh, punishment that is deserved that is not given. His grace and his mercy or on behalf of who he is. For his own namesake, just because of who he is, this is how he behaves. Now having said that, the quality of your life is always conditional. His love, his grace, unconditional. But if you don't act on the promises, 
If you ignore his directives, if you continue to be disobedient to his will in your life, you cannot expect the promises that are associated with those blessings to bear fruit in your life. Here's how it goes on in our study of, uh, of Jeremiah. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Those who don't seek him uh, will not find him and they will not express, experience the blessings that are intended for those who are spiritually mature. Now, this probably takes some explanation because we know people who are spiritually mature who have extreme difficulty in their life. Uh, some uh, have serious illness. Uh, they have uh, special needs children born to them and, and, and the struggles that come from that. And yet we're talking here about a blessing that is incomprehensible, uh, a blessing that is beyond our ability to explain because there are people who have tremendous hardships who have a sense of peace and a security in life that those who have no difficulty do not experience. We've seen it especially recently in, in some stories of these soldiers who come back badly maimed from an IED explosion and you know, now losing limb and nearly life and all the disabilities that are affected by that. They, they are inspirations to those of us who have not had that kind of struggle. And we say, what's different about them? The apostle described that in his letter to the church at Philippi when he said, let your enduring or your trusting spirit be evident to others. Well, if it's going to be evident, it has to be found in you. When you seek him with all your heart, Jeremiah said. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about things that are outside of your control. But with your prayers and with your petitions, take these things to God with thanksgiving, with expectation that, you know, he's going to deal with this situation. And then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It passes understanding. Uh, people judge things superficially in the world, uh, and, and they may have pity for you when, you when you don't really need their pity, when, when you have the peace that surpasses understanding, and by virtue of passing understanding, it's hard for you to explain it to them, right? I had a class in the seminary where we studied the Athanasian Creed or just the nature of the, tri of the Trinity. And, and in the Athanasian Creed, the, the long creed, uh, the longest of the three ecumenical creeds, it says the Father is incomprehensible, the Holy Spirit is incomprehensible, the Son of God is incomprehensible. And then the prophets say, so take out your books and let's study the nature of God. Uh, didn't you just say it's incomprehensible? And I think that's true about peace here. It's unexplainable. I can't explain this peace because it looks like hardship to me. It looks like anything but peace. But it surpasses my ability to explain or your ability to understand. But it's just as real. God promises that kind of peace. When you seek him with all of your heart, he will be found. And then you will have what he has promised. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a certainty, and a future. God's plans are thereby not personal. They're declared for an entire nation of people and even a generation to follow. But those plans always have personal implication. You know, it's the principle of personalization. It, it, it's like snow. You know, under certain weather conditions, certain temperatures, and certain moisture present, uh, snow will always occur. 
and yet all of those snowflakes will be unique and different. If today I were to give you all $1,000 and say, here's the only condition, you know, go and have a good time. If there are 400 or 500 people in the room today, there would be four or 500 different ways that would be experienced. And yet it would be the same. You were all told, here's a gift, go have a good time. The blessing is the same, but the demonstration is unique. That's how you know it is from the Lord. The same prophet who wrote these words, I know the plans I have for you despite the captivity that is pending, despite the hardship that you will encounter, uh, you will still be blessed. He also, as he watched the city destroyed, wrote in the book of Lamentation, in his observation of the horrific sight of the destruction of the holy city. He wrote, nevertheless, the Lord's loving kindness never ceases. Only by God could he have written that at such a time. For his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness, despite what's going on. So my soul declares, the prophet said, the Lord is my portion. I, I don't know wherever, where other people put their trust, but the Lord is my trust. He's my portion. I place my hope in him, and the Lord is going to be good to those who wait on him, to those who seek him. So it is good to wait silently on the Lord and to wait for the salvation of our God. The promise is objectively given to all who seek the Lord when they seek him with all of their heart. But it's individually defined. Apart from salvation, you know, which, which has its result uh, commonly among us, you know, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are all bound for heaven. Apart from salvation, God's blessing never produces the same result. It's the same blessing, but it finds individual, distinctive result. That's how we know it is from God. Let me pray. Lord, I, I thank you that, that you do have plans for Israel and, and plans were to prosper them and not to harm them and, and that later this was fulfilled. And in fact, they used this prophecy and the prophecy of Isaiah to show it to the king of Persia and said, it says in our ancient books that you're going to release us. And when he saw that and when he read it, he released them according to your promise. Your promises never fail. And so your promise, Lord, uh, uh, is not for a specific plan, not for a specific uh, life uh, outline that I am to seek and to follow. Your plan is for me to live my life trusting in you, uh, realizing that that has implications and, and it will make a difference in my life and it will produce its result that I will be prospered, that I will have a hope and I will have a future. Lord, keep me in this faith until life everlasting. I pray in Christ Jesus. Amen.